liminal space from the, the Latin word limina, meaning threshold. The phrase liminal space is often used in architectural conversations to define the physical space between two destinations. Call it a door, a hallway, an arch even, really anything that signifies you're approaching something new. You see, when it comes to design and aesthetics, we know that, that it's not all about the destination or getting to the next thing as quickly as possible, but that there's something about these liminal spaces, these pass-through experiences that both prepare us for what's coming and help us move past what's behind us. Artwork, lighting, windows, flooring patterns, right, all used to to cue us in, that we're entering something new. As I'm sure you know, the language of of liminality extends far beyond physical spaces. Uh, A preliminary event, right, is an event that happens before something important. A subliminal message or thought is one that falls below the threshold of the subconscious. We even use language of liminality to talk about seasons of life, seasons that exist between two, defi- two destinations, right, so to speak. Seasons where you, you know where you're coming from, but you don't quite know where you're going. Or you may know where you want to be going, you just don't know how to get where you want to be going. You're caught in between. And just like in architecture, sometimes these seasons are, are quick and easy. You close one door, you open the next, voila, you're at the next season. Other times it's more like an arch. You can see it coming from miles away, and, and as you approach it, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting to enter the next thing. Still other times, and these can feel like the hardest of liminal spaces to get caught in. Other times it can feel like you're in a long hallway, right? Or like one of those tunnels on the highway, one of the ones that you try to hold your breath through, except sometimes you come to realize you're not going to make it. It isn't one of those type of tunnels. It's a turn your headlights on, take a couple of deep breaths and be patient sort of tunnels. Give me a, a hand raise or a head nod or a loud Baptist amen if you know what I'm talking about. Thank you, Larry. All right, has anybody been in one of those tunnels, one of those seasons of life when the next thing, it just seemingly took forever to show up or, or try this one on size? Have you ever been in one of those tunnels like the one that carves through Zion National Park that has little windows or lookouts along the way. Also a long, dark tunnel, but every so often you get a glimpse of light and you think you're almost through it, but you really have a whole lot more driving to do. Anyone, right? Anyone else know the ache of being caught somewhere between where you were and where you want to be going? Of course you do, right? Of, of course we all do. 
And this isn't something new. This isn't a, a new human experience. As long as there have been a people with a vision, there has been liminal space. And as you might be expecting by now, cue the smooth transition to the Bible. I think that's exactly where we find David today in a season of unending liminality. Now, I know we've been reading the book of 1 Samuel together, but there's been a couple curveballs along the way. So more accurately, I guess we'd say six of the last nine weeks, we've been reading the book of 1 Samuel together. And I know stepping in and out of it can make it harder to, to track the flow, right, to keep up with the story. And so I want to offer you a recap. Because I really want us to feel where David's at this week. So a couple of generations ago, the people of God settled in the promised land. Right after wandering in the wilderness for what seemed like forever, they finally walk through that door into the next season that's flowing with milk and honey. But it didn't take long after getting settled in that they wanted a king. In fact, they demanded a king like now. And they get Saul. And Saul is, he's tall, strong, annoyingly good-looking, and he gets to work doing king stuff. And to cut a long story short, he's not a great guy. He's in it for all the wrong reasons. So, so this time, God's picking the next king, and God selects David, the youngest of eight brothers, the great-grandson of Ruth. But the thing is, very few people know that David's been selected to replace Saul as king because that would put a bit of a target on his back. Nonetheless, David's next in line. He's been anointed by God. He goes on to do some pretty remarkable things from a young age. He defeats Goliath. He befriends the king's son. He even marries the king's daughter. The whole country is singing David's praises and it is all too much for King Saul's fragile ego. Finally, after multiple attempts to kill David, David ends up on the run. He's in hiding, trying to stay alive until, until it's his turn. He's not the giant slayer signing autographs anymore. He is sleeping in caves with one eye open. He knows he's destined to be king. He just doesn't know when or how. Right, talk about a liminal space. And so it's in all of that stuff that we find David this morning as we read 1 Samuel 24. This is a good one. When Saul returned from following the Philistines... He was told, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to look for David and his men in the direction of the rocks of the wild goats. He came to the sheepfold beside the road where he was at a cave, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave. The men of David said to him, Here is the day the Lord said to you, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as seems best to you. 
All right, you catch what just happened? Saul grabs 3,000 soldiers, takes them on a hunting expedition to find and kill David. But along the way, he has to use the bathroom. And you know our kids are having fun with this part of the story downstairs. <laughs> so he pulls the entire entourage over, walks into a roadside cave for some privacy, and he relieves himself. Now it just so happens David and his men are already hiding in the back of the same cave. And David's men say to him, this is what you've been waiting for. Right? It's an open Door, the king's defenseless, your liminal space is over. Right? It's almost too easy. David's been in one of those long, dark tunnels for quite some time. God told him he'd eventually be king. The guy relieving himself wouldn't think twice about killing David. You could hardly blame him if he did it. Right? It'd be tempting. Now, I'd like to think and hope that none of you would murder someone on a toilet to get ahead in life. <laughs> think that's fair to say. But I'd also bet that you know the temptation to, to cheat just a little, to take a shortcut, to push your agenda out of turn, or to jump into something that isn't right just because it's better than waiting? You might not be willing to kill your way out of a liminal space, but I bet you know the mind games that we play when we're fed up standing still, right? When we're sick and tired of not getting where we want to be going. Yeah, all that stuff is real. Liminal spaces, they'll... they'll play tricks on us, they can convince us to do and say things we'd never do or say. So what does David do? Well, David went and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's cloak. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to the king, the Lord's anointed, or raise my hand against him, for he is the Lord's anointed. So David rebuked his men severely and did not permit them to attack Saul. Then Saul got up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David also got up and went out the cave and called after Saul, my lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the ground. David said to Saul, why do you listen to the words of those who say, David seeks to do you harm? This very day, your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hands in the cave. And some, some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not raise my hand against the Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, quick reminder, Saul is now David's father-in-law as well, which makes us even more uncomfortable. David says, see my father, see the corner of your cloak in my hand. For by the fact that I cut the corner off your cloak off and did not kill you, you may know for certain that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you are hunting me to take my life. May the Lord judge between me and you. 
May the Lord avenge me on you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the ancient proverb says, out of the wicked comes forth wickedness, but my hand will not be against you. Now against whom has the king of Israel come out? Whom do you pursue? A dead dog? A single flea? May the Lord therefore be judge and give sentence between me and you. May he see it and plead my cause and vindicate me against you. That's a good scene, right? When David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, is this your voice, my son David? Saul lifted up his voice and wept. He said to David, you are more righteous than I, for you've repaid me good, whereas I've repaid you evil. Today you've explained how you have dealt with me and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For who has ever found an enemy and sent them away safely? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. Now I know that you shall surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord that you will not cut off my descendants after me, that you will not wipe my name out from my father's house. So David swore this to Saul. Then Saul went home and David and his men went up to the strongholds. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. David was so close, like close enough to cut off the corner of Saul's robe without him noticing he could have ended it. It looked like an open door, right? A perfect opportunity to finally step out of this liminal season and step into this life that he was anointed to live. But David knew it wasn't right. Despite how long and dark of a tunnel he had been stuck in, he knew, he knew cheating his way to the surface wasn't going to play out. And you may have watched a couple too many Disney movies in your life by this point, and, and maybe you think that David and Saul end up reconciling, and they end up talking about this awkward cave moment around the Thanksgiving table... Not a chance. It takes Saul all but one week to get jealous of David again and, and to start up the hunt. In chapter 26, David spares Saul's life again when, when it would have been way too easy to just end the madness. David's something special. His heart seems to be spiritually aligned with the heart of God, and, and he's got this like revolving sense of integrity about him. I like this one. Unlike Simba, David can wait to be king. Yeah. There you go. There you go. The kids liked it. And he's going to be an amazing king. He's also going to make some huge mistakes. You're going to have to wait a, a little while before we get to learn more about David's journey, is this is our last Sunday on 1 Samuel for a little bit. We'll pick it back up in the future. 
Sometime after Christmas, honestly, I'm not sure when. (laughs) Talk about liminal spaces. This book's been an absolute joy to get to read with you, and we leave it a little incomplete. A door that we've not quite walked all the way through yet. So what now? What in the remaining minutes or two of this sermon can we say? I think some of it's quite obvious. If you're human, you will occupy some liminal spaces from time to time. They're all different, and yet, on some level, they're all the same. Everyone, right, everyone, everyone gets caught in seasons of waiting, seasons of uncertainty, liminal spaces where we don't quite know how to get where we're going. And today's ancient story reminds us that when we find ourselves in those spaces, it can be way too easy right, to sacrifice our values. It's way too easy to start putting ourselves first, to sneak our way out, to, to put the wrong plan in motion because, because it feels better than standing still. When we're caught in liminal spaces, it's way too easy to to grant ourselves permission to be lesser versions of ourselves because on some level, no one would blame us otherwise. But the thing is, it's not worth it. Letting go of our values or, or rushing through life is never worth it. Like the door, the hallway, the arch, even the long, dark tunnels, liminal spaces have something to to show us, to teach us. They're preparing us for what's next, helping us let go of what's behind. Sure, we might be able to get onto the next thing quickly, but at what cost? Friends, we're all ultimately all traveling to the same destination. And I don't mean that in in a morbid sense, but but we're all heading to the same final destination. Today, of of all days, we remember those who have gone before us, right? Those who have walked through their fair share of doors, meandered their way down plenty of hallways. They all know what it felt like to get caught up in liminal spaces and yet nearing the end of life, I've, I've never heard anyone say that they wish they would have taken more shortcuts to get there. I, no one says that. Instead, what you hear is, and I wish I, I wish I hadn't rushed through life. I wish I had the patience that I have now. Right? Or, oh man, during that season that felt so crazy and hectic with all the kids and all the things, needing all of me as I counted down the days to retirement. Right? How I, I wish I could go back to that. <clears throat> How I wish I could go back to that tunnel when my kids were still at home and my parents were still alive. How I wish someone would have told me to just slow down and enjoy the liminality of it all. Because friends, sometimes the thing that we're racing through is in fact the thing, yeah? Sometimes when you have a really good divine architect, the door, the hallway, the arch, 
the tunnel is in fact the good stuff, the stuff we're slowing down and noticing. Advanced players mode, and I haven't done one of these in a while. Advanced players mode, it's often in the liminal spaces, the space between the old self and the new self that we experience God. There's something about those in-between spaces, these seasons of standing at the threshold that creates in us a spiritual receptivity, right? An openness to the, the holy other. And if we're able to reorient our priorities towards the inner life, we might actually find that liminal seasons can be remarkably productive. You can race through life. You can remain hyper-focused on the perpetual next destination. But at what cost? In just a moment, you're going to have an opportunity to rest, reflect, write some names on a white cross. There should be plenty of white crosses on the end of each pew and some small pencils and so Pass them around. If you have some left over, you know, just to look around, make sure no one, uh, everyone had a chance. Well, Carol, play some music. I invite you to take a moment and call to mind the, the names of those you wish to remember today. When you come forward for communion, you can place your cross in one of the glass vases as a, a communal prayer. All right, remembering those we have loved and lost. And in doing so, right, we're reminded of, of those names, those people in our lives. We're reminded of their life, how they chose to live. And we're also reminded how quickly life moves, how liminal it all is, and, and how all of it is worth treasuring. All right, all in time, all in its time. Amen.